This is the Paul Goff audio experience. Whether you call yourself a PT, a physical therapist, or a physiotherapist, and wherever you are listening to this right now, this is for you. It is me revealing everything I can to help make you a more successful business owner. Thanks for listening. It means the absolute world to me. This one's a recording of a great discussion that took place during Paul's recent three-day marketing bootcamp in New Orleans. It's the morning of day two. Listen in as the room reflects on the learning that took place the day before, and specifically, the importance of picking an ideal client that gives you the best chance of being successful. What does that mean? It means that so many businesses decide who they want to work with based upon their own hobbies and interests. That's fine, but you better make sure these people have the type of problems and health challenges that makes them more likely to want to pay for your services. Get this wrong, and it makes growing a business very difficult. There's a lot of great insights covered on this audio experience, so be sure to have a pen and paper handy as you listen to take notes. Enjoy the discussion, and if you haven't done so already, be sure to join Paul's new Cash Club program that's just launched, perfect for podcast listeners who want to learn more from him. All right, good morning, everyone. Should we get going? Everybody well? Well rested? Good. Um... So let's review day one. I always like to start with a recap. It's incredible what 12 hours can do as to how it, um, I'm sure you all spent all evening last night diligently thinking about what you learned yesterday and stayed away from Canal Street and the French Quarter. And... No? Okay, was it just me? <laughs> we didn't make it that far. That's tonight. Yeah. The casino. You only got to the casino. Yeah. Um, so let's, yeah, let's reflect on, on yesterday. It's important to do it. The, um, really, the, the gold of everything that you do like this is not in the actual doing, it's in what happens after it. Honestly, the next day is always the best. For uh, most of you, it'll be Monday. Um, that The uh, synthesis, if you like, of all of this should start to, to play out. And the next day after, every day, I like to look uh, back and just ask some questions. What did you learn? Um, what do you know now that you didn't? What have you seen differently about marketing, about your business? Some nice breakthroughs already coming uh, from this side. Just clarity is a big thing. Clarity is a huge thing in business. In that, um, I don't believe that many business owners today are not working hard. There's no shortage of business owners who are not tired and not stressed. They are uh, often working hard, but on the wrong things. And just sometimes to take a, an hour or two hours, whatever it'll be, to reflect upon what you're actually doing and, and ask if it's the right thing to be doing is very important. So much like that yesterday, often what you close out the day with is your takeaway. Most of the time when I do this, it's very different the next day. You've had time to synthesize, think, reflect, work out what, um, what you learned, what you picked up, and how that applies to your business and what you're gonna do when you take back. So let's go around the room. We'll start with Kimberly, and we'll work our way around as to um, big takeaways from yesterday and how you think that's gonna to apply to your business moving forward. I'll show the short story I just told you. Um, so my business partner's here. She's attending CSM. She does more of the patient care than I do. So I put her through this. I taught her all the principles. That way I would remember. And then I had her go through the, the um, exercise of um, listing the favorite patients. And then I, you know, and she was all over the board like I was. I said, now pick two, now pick one. So we've been in business 19 years. We picked the same one, the exact same favorite patient. And so now, instead of, you know, she, she was kind of saying, I want to go this way, and I was wanting to go this way with my perfect patient. That, 
that, that's the biggest one. Now we can we can focus on marketing, and we're in a great mix. So, and that's what is it? Huh? Who is what your perfect patient? She's forty-two year old female. Um, does um, CrossFit. She's educated. She's motivated. Um, she pays cash, and she is a better referral than most of our physicians. Because they're still there. You know, go. Yeah. We love her. <laughs> she loved us. So what, what the conversation was when we were speaking about it was how they toyed with going through pelvic to pelvic floor in different niches, but their conclusion was that this person would likely bring in the pelvic floor patients anyway. Smart move. Very smart move. Right? And when you start to think like this, this is what it's about. It's who gives me the best chance of being successful in business. And sometimes the fear of going too niche too early is that it takes too long to get traction. And unless you've got a lot of money, being in a niche is difficult. And the example that I've given in the past about niches is the Ferrari um, mechanic. So if I'm a mechanic and I run a business, I can probably charge, let's say, $200 for a basic servicing of a car. And my advertising costs are going to be quite low because I can probably run an advertisement anywhere and, and pick up some kind of business. I can scatter an ad in a newspaper, any magazine, quick post on Facebook, because everyone's got a car. But that also limits what I can charge, because anybody can do that as well. The, the barrier to entry for the competition is also very low. So if I um, decide as a mechanic, good, I want to be a Ferrari mechanic. I only want to specialize in Ferraris. Now what's started to happen is I've limited the audience that I've got, but I'm probably having to spend more to find the audience. That's okay, because they'll spend more. Because the typical mechanic for a Ferrari driver, uh, for, a, for a guy who drives a Ferrari or a girl who drives a Ferrari, might be $500 a service. Significantly more, but you get my point. Now, if I'm a Ferrari mechanic, but I only work with classic 1975 Ferraris, I'm probably charging $2,000 a service. And you're probably driving five, six, seven hours to, to come and see me. But now my advertising costs are significantly higher because I can probably only get into the classic car magazines that are national-based. Um, my Facebook ads have to go right across state because there isn't going to be that many people with a 1975 Ferrari. But if I find them, they'll spend money with me, not just once, but how long? Forever. But the cost of getting in the game is a lot higher. And that's something to understand. I'm all for going in a niche. But if you niche too early and you niche too deep, it's very difficult to get traction because you need cash to, to do it. You need cash to find the pelvic floor patients or the postnatal back patients. Facebook will it'll cost you more money to find the pelvic floor patient or the, the, the postnatal back patient than it would the general low back pain patient. Now, they'll spend more money. You can charge higher prices, but it will probably be a longer sales process and you'll have to go deeper into a nurture funnel to take into account, for example, the skepticism, the nervousness, the uncomfortable conversation that that guy or that girl doesn't want to have with you. And you have to factor all of that in. So it's going to cost you significantly more when you niche. But if you, if you start to look at, well, all right, how could I set up a, um, um, a garage and, and become a mechanic that basically starts to uh, have out the back a specialist unit for the 1975 Ferrari, that when I get them, or when I have that conversation with the Joe public coming in off the street with his Mustang or his Dodge or whatever it would be, and I start to put the word out that I've got a specialist garage out the back, 
then it might not take long for somebody to go, well, okay, I've got a friend in the other side of the state who's got one and he's looking to come and so on. So my advertising costs are less and I'm slowly getting to that niche practice that I want, but the um, cost of getting there is significantly cheaper and I'm making money along the way. Makes sense. Because again, the, the mechanic who starts out in the 1975 Ferraris, he might get one or two in for the first two, three, five years. But if he basically goes, no, I only want to treat Ferraris, I'm not treating the Mustangs and the Fords because it's beneath me. It's not my skill set. Fine, I respect that. It's just going to cost you a lot of money. And it's going to be very difficult to build a, a business fast. So I'm going to put this on the board. This is back to the conversation we had yesterday with Marcus about the profit and how he went into that store in New York. This was the graphic that he created. And he basically said, look, this is the staple garment. This is the shirt. This is the like $100 shirt that we want the guy to come in off the street. They identified it as a 25-year-old guy, um, a slightly alternative view of the world, kind of, you know, wants to live his own life, wants to be different, but not to stand out too much and so on, right? So they went through the demographic and the psychographic of this guy. So this is the item. If we can get him in the store to buy this, then what we need to do is we need to create a cap and we need to create a jacket whatever that looks like. I'm not an artist. Yeah, that was the robe. And then we need to create the jeans. And then we're going to create a basic t-shirt. I think they, they did a scarf as well. So the goal was to get him in the store to buy this at $100. Okay. But then when he's in the store, product placement, conversations, emails, leaflets, flyers, whatever it will be. The goal was to go, okay, how many of these customers, because we can do all right on $100, we can pay the bills on, let's say, $50, $50 net profit, and we're getting 10 people in a day to buy that shirt, we're making $500 a day. Fine, we're keeping the doors open, we're making a little profit, but what we want to have happen is we want to have every one out of 10 who comes through the door buy this for 75, and if we can get one to buy a pair of these for 75, and one to buy this for 75, and so on and so on. We've used the same client, the same customer, the same marketing spend to make more money, significantly more money. And the business then becomes um, break even on the one item, significantly profitable on the range. So as you start to look at your patients, and this is where I know we were having this conversation, Mike, as well last night, as you start to look at this. This patient that you're going to select, really, it's, it's no different. And why? It, it's not about saying no to everybody. You're not going to say no to people. It's just who, if I bring somebody in through that door, if I bring this 42-year-old lady in, what does she give me the option to do? So if I can get more of them, she's going to spend money with me, right? Okay, and then I'm going, she averages $1,000 with me. Dead easy, time and time and time again. But what she also gives me is access to friends or groups or whoever for people with pelvic floor problems. She also gives me access to uh, probably 15, potentially to, to 10 to 20-year-old kids, which could be then CrossFit. She also gives me access to 65 to 70-year-old parents. So by bringing this lady in and, and targeting this lady, 
and spending money on Facebook or newspapers or wherever, doing all of our promotions, making sure that any community event that we get invited to go to, we ask the question, will she be there? Because if she's not, I'm not going. If somebody said to me, come and speak, Paul, um, Paul, come and speak at CSM. There'll be 12,000 people there. Or come and speak at PPS and there'll be 500 people there. Which one do you want? Give me PPS all day long. My ego would run wild at 12,000, but then my logical part of the brain would kick in and go, there'll be 11,725 students there. Why, why would I want to stand up in front? Other than ego, there's nothing for me to, 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 to be there from a, from a business point of view. I'd rather have a smaller audience, but more concentrated. So if I'm making a decision like that and I'm getting an option to do that, which regularly happens where somebody will say, come and speak, and I'm always having to go, okay, the trade-off of the time, who's in the room? Who's in the, who's in the audience? That'll dictate my price. If it's a group that I can talk to and sell to and market to further down the line, significantly less. If it's not, the price will go up because there's no, there's no point in me being there. So when we're looking at making critical decisions in the business about time and best use of it, every time that you get offered, the yell.com rings up and says, hey, do you want to do this? Or the local paper says we've got a promotion. Or we can put you here or we can put you there. We're going to get a booth at a 5K run. You have to ask, will she be there? If that's who it is. Because you just keep bringing more of these people in and then have your system set up with Infusionsoft or you have your front desk person talking to them about the offer that you've got for these people, how you cater for this person or whatever product or service you've got for that person behind the scenes, you will have a very successful practice very quick. The problem is nobody's doing this. Nobody thinks of it like this. Nobody thinks like it's the, let's get them to buy the shirt. Let's focus on the 25-year-old guy who'll buy the shirt. Because then once he's bought the shirt, he has to buy the hat, the scarf, the jeans, the tee. And we'll, we're not expecting him to buy it straight away either, by the way. We're not expecting him to walk in and hand over $500, but what we're going to do is get his email. We're going to get him a, a letter that goes out every six months or an offer to join the club and get exclusive discounts so that we continue to market to him afterwards. So the first sale becomes break-even or the first sale even becomes profit, but we get rich on the second, third, fourth, and fifth sale. So as you think about that for Phoenix, who, who's going to spawn all of this for you? Is it the 55-year-old, the 60-year-old? I've run a lot of ads in that area, and I'd be going at that, at that audience to start with. Biggest bang for my buck to get going. I might want to work with CrossFit in a year or two's time, but that'll be slow to start with. I'm not saying it's not possible, but I can tell you, you, you run an ad down there for the 55, 60-year-old, not, not a problem. That will give you access to the, if you, if you look at it like that, that we say to the 60-year-old, 65-year-old, hey, listen, we've got this great service for, for you know, 25-year-old, whoever. You're not going to be that specific, but you'd make it known to those individuals uh, to tell their grandkids or sons or daughters or whoever to make it much easier for you to scale quicker. And that's really all of the decisions that we're trying to make in business. Is this the best use of my time or is this sporadic? Is this the plan? Or is this somebody ringing me up offering me a deal that I didn't need? in the first place. Great, I'm about to save $500 on some ads that I didn't want to spend, which is most people's advertising plan. You see it in my group. People are regularly posting, hey, we've been offered $400 for this, or for, of this ad. This company contacted us. Was it part of the plan? Is your ideal patient in there? Does it fit with what you need to get? Or is this just an opportunity that you feel as though you have to take advantage of because somebody's offered you some money off? 
much higher level strategic decisions about business. And if you play those decisions at every point in your business, you'll be significantly more successful and a lot less tired. So, good. Mike. Uh, two things uh, from yesterday. I was bouncing off uh, a lot of the content yesterday went over with my wife, and uh, one of the things we got to uh, was at the end, the messages. And she's like, so how do you create your message? And I said, well, it's easy. We use this, this, uh, this structure. And she's like, I don't get it. <laughs> so we went through it, and she's like, oh. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so it was, it, was, it was fairly easy to describe that way. Um, and I'm sure we'll get a little more framework involved in that. Uh, and then, uh, so I, I think that was a great takeaway for, for me. And then yesterday I brought up the, um, the fear-based uh, marketing a little bit. Yeah. And I, um, I had her just looking over, and she, she pointed out that one and said, what do you think about that? And I said, I brought it up. Yeah, yeah. And she shared, she said, it's interesting you say that because just this last weekend uh, when the Olympics were on, um, Apple had an ad. And on it, it had just people sharing experiences that they'd had with the watch. And we have four kids. And so my seven-year-old son was there with her watching the ad. He's probably seen it by that point like three or four times. And so I was sitting next to my wife, and uh, he goes, Mom, you need an Apple watch. And she's like, why? Well, in case our car rolls over, then you can call for help. <laughs> you need an Apple watch. So now he's bugging her <laughs> to get an Apple watch. For fear. For fear, exactly. Fear that they won't be taken care of if the car rolls over. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. I, I shared. You know, she shared that with me, and I said, you know, that's is it bad? I don't know. But it went back to again, what's our intent as a company is to yeah. use yeah. some of that marketing to to go out. It's you know, we want patients to come in. Why not? Because we need them to fear something, but because we want to help them to feel better. The only reason you're using that that style is because it just is. It's not bad, it's not good, it just is. Anybody who doesn't understand it will, will accuse you of, of it's fear-based, it's this, that, and the other. Sadly, that's about 99.9% .9 of the world. Or, in business, 96% who go bust. That if you're trying to make it something that it cannot be, you're trying to defy science. You are trying to define, how, how old's your son? Seven. He's a seven-year-old kid. Nobody's taught him to be motivated that way. I, I don't believe you've woke up on a morning going here, I'm going to show you how to be motivated by fear. It's safe to assume that that's how we are inbuilt. We are motivated by fear. Did it just show too that we just acknowledge their fears? I mean, when you go into like, I mean, they're, we're kind of identifying fears and we're acknowledging that, you know, yep. that they have fears. It's not like that we're implanting nope. fears into them. It's just that we're acknowledging, we understand. We understand your fear. Understand Completely different. You have yeah. fears. Yeah. We understand it. If this is how you're feeling, if this is how you're thinking, if this is how you're feeling, I get you. That, that would be no different than you having a conversation with a friend, right. with your wife, with your kids. I, I, I feel it. I get it. Listen, if you're feeling, if you're feeling a little bit um, worried right now, son, about going to school tomorrow, it's perfectly normal. You know, the first day at school, I remember how I felt. You know, I was nervous, frightened, skeptical, couldn't work out what was going on, why I needed to move from my last school. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And then you can use that to motivate them to you know, do something about that fear they have. So, Good. And I, I brought it up more as a way to say, you know, it works for a while. Mm -hmm. you know, um, so. 
it's not that it, it, I mean, it does work, but what's most important is it's just, it's science. You just, you cannot, there isn't another way. It, it's not, it, often we want what we want rather than just going after what is. And most of, like I said, most people, uh, their ignorance is bliss. And that's what makes me laugh when people talk about marketing or they talk about how various things work. They've, got, they've never even picked up a book on it. And yet they've got an opinion on why it's wrong or how it, it is. Because we're trying to be PC and we're all trying to be please everybody and you know, appear polyperfect on the internet or our businesses to be whatever. It's a, a true understanding of it. You'll realize it's just, it, it just is. There's nothing more to it. There's nothing, nothing less. That if I want an individual to do something, the best significant chance that I've got is to motivate them by reminding them of the bad. And if that happens and they say yes, they get an opportunity for a better life. Oscar. Uh, this discussion kept um, reminding me a couple of years back. I think there's an insurance company that did it brilliantly um, where they took beers and made a comical kind of way out of it and it was made. Yeah. Tony. Um, just like the types of conversations I have with patients, I kind of, if someone were download a search report, I would be very quick to commit for an eval. wouldn't, wouldn't want, like, slow them down. Yeah. Kind of thing. And I think it effectively drop off because not knowing exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and then to be a little more diligent with a, a follow-up system. So, like what you said, with uh, getting a retail, something like that. The key word is relentless. Yeah. Relentless. I've been accused of it a few times. Um, I'm happy to have that on my headstone all day. He sent too many emails or he sent out too many postcards or he made too many phone calls. But he helped a lot of people get rich and he helped a lot of people get healthy. I'll have that on my tombstone every, any day of the week. And, and I do think that's what separates a lot of my success, if you like, um, from some people who are trying to emulate it or copy it or whatever. It's just the relentlessness that um, I don't have any emotional tie to the outcome. I don't have any emotional tie to the opinion of two emails getting sent or three emails getting sent because it just comes from such a BS place that there's no point even trying to, to, to think like it. But the more that you understand, which is why I try so hard to teach the fundamentals of human behavior, if you understand all of this, you'll see that there isn't another option. And it becomes a lot clearer and uh, easier for you to pick up that phone again tomorrow, risking rejection, knowing that what they're doing is just a, it's just a four-year-old kid. It's laughable. It really is. If you choose to look at it that way, it's Harry and Lois. They're just frightened, petrified. Mother told them not to speak to strangers all their life. No clue what PT is. Don't want to risk handing over money. Impulse decisions are under $100. Fact, by the way. Impulse decisions are under $100. Didn't bring that up yesterday. The moment you try to take somebody from $99 to $100, not an impulse anymore. The average price of PT, well over $100 now. This profession has not factored that in, in its operating systems, in its front desk people, that five to 10 years, it's happened so fast, that five to 10 years ago, I could come to your clinic probably and get, what, for copay, 10 sessions, $100. My, my contribution would have been $100 or less. I could say yes, because I wasn't gonna get banned at the other end. Now you're asking me to, to spend what is the equivalent of a TV, a weekend away, uh, MOT for the car, beds, couches, like it's significant sums of money. As an average guy on the street sees it, 
impulse decisions. The difference between an impulse decision and, and um, a three-figure decision is time. You've seen it yourselves where you, you look at a price of something. If it's under $100, you'll buy it. If it's over $100, you'll put time in the way. You'll probably go back a week later. Might be two, might be three. The problem for the store is they don't keep in touch with you. So even though you've decided that you want to buy the thing, you've probably bought it somewhere else, more convenient, that you were in another mall or another store or you were stumbling on another website online and you ended up buying it elsewhere. So most of it is our own fault in, in our view of the world and by thinking that just because somebody didn't want to buy it, they uh, didn't have the money. That's the bit that always irritates me, just because they didn't want to buy from us or they, 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 don't want, they don't see the value, they don't want to spend money. It's always about the money. Nine out of ten, never. If it was all about the money, you all would have got the bus here. You'd have got the bus. You'd all been staying in a tent round the corner. Cheapest possible way of getting here. Cheapest possible way of sleeping here. It's not. We just like to hide there as business owners because it's much more comfortable to say that it is. So it really does go down to relentlessness. Um, not aggressive, but just hanging in and not taking um, no for an answer as such. No just means not right now. And having that compassion, that understanding of what they're actually going through, which was all of the principles we discussed in, in Morning One. And they'll never change. I could have this room full of every different type of business and those principles really would be, would be the same. Well done. What have you got? How many of you, here's a question. How many of you have ever had your admin sit in regularly on your sessions? In the, which session? Treatment sessions. Or, or the eval? Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable what it'll do. So um, what we found out is that, um, what we found out since, since December is that admins don't know about the patients. They may know them, you know, when they walk in the door, you know, and they don't know them for five, you know, how are you, and, you know, know them on the front end of things. But as far as the, you know, what's going on with them, you know, is it their shoulder, is it, you know, their knee, what is, I mean, like, they may know it's their knee. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You know, and so they may get better, and they, and they don't, I don't know anything at all about the patient. Yeah. Exactly. I remember when I had my, um, and I've done this with the staff and I do it regularly, and I'll talk a little bit about that, the impact of having my staff go into treatment sessions where they were able to then ask a patient, tell me a little bit more, and the patient would say, oh, well, it's this. 
and Vicky or Becky or whoever would start to say, oh, listen, it sounds like something I saw the other day. And then the patient would say, what? How do you know? And, it, and it's like, yeah, I, I understand all of these types of things. I occasionally go in to watch. Paul likes us to go in and, and watch it so that we can have this type of conversation with you. And the patient's flawed. And it spawned from my heart problem when I had a chest problem. I rang around, um, I've got insurance, so I rang, um, I got, I rang up Booper, the equivalent, Cigna, et cetera. And I said, oh, can I have the, you know, can I have the names of the people that I, can, that I can go and see type of thing for my heart once I come back to Britain? And they gave me these numbers and I rang them all. And I didn't choose on price. This guy was the most expensive, but I didn't know it at this point. I chose because of the secretary. And this, is the, this was pivotal in my life of business when I realized what had happened to me, that I was panicking like mad. I was 31 year old thinking I'm gonna die. I'm gonna have a heart attack at any point. You know, my chest's gonna give up or whatever. And I rang the secretary and she was just unbelievable. And, and not because she was just nice, it was just because she knew everything about what was gonna go on. She was like, I was starting to go, oh, but uh, my chest is it's beating like this. And it's, she's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've seen this before. Perfectly normal, listen, don't worry, we'll get you in. Here's what's gonna happen. I was like, oh, like, what will go on? She said, oh, well, he'll, he'll strap you up to this and he'll put you on this and he'll do this and he'll do the other and you'll get this test the next day and you'll get the other. I was like, holy shit. I said, I'm in, I'm done, the search is over. And then I went, how much is it? Yep. I didn't, and it wasn't even a, it wasn't for debate as, as if I was going in. And that's a big difference. Yeah. That there's a difference between how people ask what the price is I was just asking for validation, just to make sure I had the credit card. It wasn't, I wasn't being like, I'm, I'm holding you to ransom here. It was like, I just want to know so I've got the right money to pay my um, copay or whatever it was as I, as I come through the door. And, he, uh, and she said, yeah, yeah, blah, 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 search over. Everybody else was, um, oh, just come tomorrow at two o'clock and it'll see you. She spent about 25 minutes with me. And that was a pivotal day in my business life when I put that phone down and went, holy shit. She just blew my socks off. And then when I got to the, um, the room, got to the hospital, she was the same girl who, who met me. And I, I started to ask her, I was like, how, how, do you, how did you know all of that? Like my brain was like going, like, this is great, this heart problem, I can like figure out some, some stuff here. So she said, oh yeah, I'm in and out of the room all the time with him. He gets me to come in and watch some of the sessions and follow the patients around. And I'm like, oh my word, what have I been doing all my life? Straight back to the clinic, right. And I made it a point of once a month for them to go in um, to at least one session and follow a patient through um, the journey. So they would pick a patient once a month and they'd have to go in on every session. So if they were in for six sessions, they'd start with the eval and they'd track it all the way through. And they had to be able to conclude after what they saw. And I used it for critical feedback to me because then they were feeding back to me going, this is what um, Johnny said. And I would start to go, did you understand that? And they'd go, nope. i go, well, let's just say fucking bet that the patient didn't either. And it became a very good a very, very good um, training exercise to have the admin in the room for their understanding, their ability to connect at a completely different level than anybody else. And the people who um, they are able to say, oh, I was in the treatment room and I, I kind of understand this a little. They've never gone into any medical uh, pr prognosis or diagnosis. They're just basically saying, I saw somebody with this a few months ago, it ended well. And the patient's like, well, what, what, what was it like? Oh, it was, yeah, it was great. I went in and watched it and I learned this. And the patients are intrigued that the admin um, are in at that level. And then further down the line, which I kind of knew would come, the patients would start to say, well, the reason that I chose you is because if the admin knew this level, what, what was going to be waiting for me when I actually got there? Now, you want to know how you get from $150 to $250? Like that. You want to know how you put an end to copay? With conversations like that. 
period. Game over. If you're one of 10 providers in your area, that, that's how you become different. Different is not having a black website and a pink website, which sadly is still what 96% of businesses think. That is truly different uh, of changing the front end to change the perception of the back end. Beautiful. Since boot camp. And now I spend about half an hour with patients or with leads on the phone. Yeah. So I, you know, if they ask, hey, you know, do you have to my insurance? Oh, great. Oh, I can definitely answer that. You know, my name's Lorelai, by the way. What's yours? Oh, Beautiful. Hi, Beautiful. You know, how are you? Oh, here you got a kid in the background. I got four kids. How many kids do you have? Beautiful. You know, and just questions like that, and that completely takes their their guard down. They're like, oh, okay. Well, and one of my favorite things to say is no pressure. We just want to be sure you're being taken care of. Like, I am trying to sell to you. I'm not telling you I'm not trying to sell to you. Yep. However, there's no pressure at all. I understand you need to talk to your husband. Take as long as you want. I'll give you a call on Monday. How's that sound? Great. That's who, who do you want to do business with? That's not a really good name. Can I ask you a question? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and this goes to you too, Paul. Like, how are you always answering the phone? How's Vicky always answering the phone? Really wondering about that one. Vicky isn't, Vicky's on my back, back team now, uh, on the Nurture team. But we've got seven. I've got almost one admin for one therapist. Okay. Pretty much. So if, let's say for every 70 or 80 visits a uh, physio would do, we would have an admin a, a week. Like that, that's my kind of indicator. But you said they're back, so they're like in a room where they can answer the phone. So Vicky, would ne you'd never get through to Vicky now on the front. If you rang my clinic, she's not answering the front end. I have seats. I have seat one, seat two, and seat three. And much like an NFL player is positioned in a place, my uh, Vicky's uh, unbelievably empathetic, compassionate, nurture queen. Becky, wonderfully bright, bubbly, happy, fun, um, can put you at ease very quickly. But if I ask it to go out the back, oh, that's a different ball game altogether. Mm -hmm. So I just figured out very quickly, and Monday morning becomes, what seat are you in? And there is a roster in the room, in the back office, that says Vicky seat two, Becky seat one, Jess seat so Jess sits in seat one pretty much all day, and the rest will float between the different roles. And Becky works part-time, so she'll come in and out, but she's predominantly in seat one, occasionally in seat two, which would be drop-offs and um, anything to do with didn't answer the phone, um, should come back to see us, that type of... So we, we're literally horses for courses, based upon the skill set of the individual in the, in the, the room. The phone call goes how, hey, I'm calling to do such, okay, hang on one time, I get to that person. If they'll ring, if they ring us, um, yeah. If they ring up and say, "Can I have a free report?" Jess could deal with it very easily. But if she's stout out and this patient's in reception, she'll pass it through to, to Vicky. So, but we have a we use a VoIP system. So again, they've all been trained to look to look down and go, "Well, Gisborne's free, seat three's free, seat two's free." So she's going to go, "Okay, listen, I'm going to pass you through to Vicky. You can take care of you." Bang. And it's literally going from this room to that room. But she can see that Vicky's not on the phone. If Vicky's on the phone, she'll deal with it. And it could be sometimes just going, hey, listen, I'm not the best person to speak to, but I'm, I'm able to help you. I'll start the conversation, and then in the next five or ten minutes, somebody will call you back. And people just want to be acknowledged. Yeah. So what is seat, where are your seats? Seat one is what? Seat one would be uh, front house. So you've arrived through the door. Um, you're sitting in my reception. Could they answer the phone? They, could, uh, they, they do incoming calls from uh, anybody who just goes, yeah, I'm ready to go. So they could answer the phone. So. Schedulers, yeah, 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 exactly. But also um, a, a, a very much an emphasis on meet and greet. So this is a, this is good questions. If you start to, to play this out, they've been given protocols. 
So it would be, if you're engaged in a conversation, if, if I'm Jess and you're, you're a patient, Jess is engaged in, in a conversation with you and the phone rings, she'll take a quick look at it and if she can see Gisborne and Hartlepool um, or one of the other clinics has not got an engaged dial, she'll let it go. She'll let it go to the other clinic. And if she's with a patient and that phone rings and she can see that it's engaged, i.e. nobody else is going to be able to pick it up, she'll ask for permission to get the phone. She, she has to ask for permission. Brett, am I okay to get that? Yeah, no problem. Bam. She will never, ever interrupt the conversation. If you walk out of my clinic to pay your bill and that phone rings, I don't give a shit. You do not answer that phone. Yeah. Nothing pisses me off more in this world than going into a restaurant or a hotel wanting to check in and being queuing there for 10 minutes and some fucking rings up on the phone and gets ahead of me. I've actually said a few times, shall I ring and, and do this? Because I'd probably get in faster. Right. Basic, one-on-one, people recognise it. Really, really do recognise it. So the, the uh, protocol is there. They, they clearly understand that eight out, and eight out or nine out of 10 times, they know what they're doing and, and what the culture is that we're trying to create and that feeling that we're having with the individual. That they're all in the, they're all in the game with each other they know clearly what seat she's in. They can see on the phone if, if Vicky's not on it, she'll, or she'll let it go. If Vicky's on it, she'll take a message and so on. So seat one would be incoming calls plus, plus meet and greet. Seat two would be um, drop-offs, follow-ups, general admin-y, faxes, emails, all that type of stuff where she's grabbing the phone as well. And seat three would be follow-up. So, so Vicky would sit in seat three or Sarah would be sitting in th uh, seat three We'd always have somebody in seat two, which is almost like a, an overlap in my main clinic, and we'd have Jess at seat one. But then I've got somebody in all the other clinics. When you say follow-up, is that like the, is that opt-ins? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent dedicated. Yeah, that's, that's all she does. does opt-ins, uh, inquiries, free reports, workshop inquiries, and so on. Drop-offs maybe upsells. So seat three would also do twenty-four-hour callbacks. So after the first appointment, everybody gets a call after 24 hours and says, hey, how did it go? Are we happy? Any questions we can answer that didn't get answered 24 hours later? You have four offices. So you have one that has more centralized... Hartlepool, yes. Okay. I have like a... most your callers Correct, are. yeah. And the yeah. other ones are just staff-based. One person on the front. Three or seat yes, yeah, yeah. People who are primarily just wonderful face-to-face... -face. Right, a lot easier to get. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've got two very specialist where the money's made, if you like, or the, not the money's made, it's, it's always made out the front. But I, I have two, two seats or two staff members who I think takes me from okay business to, work, to very good business. Takes me from a nice profit to a very good profit because of the work that those two people do. That they basically sweep up everything. That Jess is great, Becky's great, Sarah's great, Charlotte's wonderful. They're, they're there, come on in, they'll take care of you. They will love you to death and just be all over you. But they're not sellers. They're not gonna. They're not gonna take. If you get a bit arsy on the phone, they're not gonna. They're not gonna like that. And I, I lose their love of their job. Uh, they're very timid, but in a lovely, passionate, compassionate kind of way. I can't put them on the phone to people who are probably gonna or could potentially be a bit abrupt to start with. So that's how I, I play the. I play the business out. Yeah. that would probably go through to seat two. So seat two is like sweeping up all the time. So Jess would be in seat one, wonderful front of house, fun, bubbly, cheeky, has some fun, come on, sit down, take your coat off, cup of coffee, you know, she's that type of gal. Then it would probably be Becky who would be seat two, who would be um, faxes, emails, responding, 
uh, sending stuff off, shoving stuff out in the post. She's probably sending the free reports out in the post, sending the books out that I've signed, etc. Uh, she would be the one who would probably deal with. Jess would go, can I pass this through to you, Becky? Yeah, give it to me. She's got the dashboard in front of her. But she's in another room. You wouldn't see her. She'll walk through and, and could jump on seat one if Jess goes on lunch. Becky would jump on seat one while Jess is out. And then when Jess comes back, Becky will go back. But Vicky's all, Vicky or Sarah are always on the phone to, to make the money's made. The profit, the, the, the profit that I want is really made in C3. Having that dedicated person on the phone all day. Can I just say that um, the scripts that we got in December have been phenomenal. Thank you.